Welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Jane Jezrowie, and I am one of the co-founders of Carrier's Edge. And with me, as always, Mark Morrell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Well done. Excellent job. What are we going to talk about today? Well, oh, that's it? Yeah. Didn't wow. I get it? Like, just go straight into it. Yeah. Okay. There's no warm up. There's, well, you can warm up if you want. You want to do some la 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 la's? Uh, I have a couple of uh, couple of things to talk about and we'll see where each of them go. And now this podcast will only be half an hour because we haven't squabbled for 10 minutes at the beginning. We'll put our squabbling in the middle. Okay. We'll have a squabble in between Deal. each subject. That will be our transition. <laughs> Uh, the transitional yeah. squabble. No way we're doing a full podcast hour without a squabble about something. So Yeah, because you just suck. <laughs> I uh, now it. it's feeling like a normal podcast. <laughs> ah, sorry. I can't get, trying to get on this stool comfortably. All right. Well, I think we should start by talking about the thing that everybody's talking about that seems like we're all required to discuss now, and that is the supply chain issues. Is there one? Is there? Yes, there is apparently. I haven't a really heard that there is any supply chain issues. Is there going to be a problem for Christmas? There might be. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of vague. We don't really know one way or another. <laughs> I was thinking about how I had written a LinkedIn article. I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago or something, maybe two years ago, uh, about how I didn't think there was a driver shortage. You know, because. Uh, <laughs> Uh, At, Atri or no, the Bureau of, of Labor yeah, Statistics BLM. had put out uh, BLM or BLS. BLS, sorry. Yeah. They had put out this study saying that there was not actually a labor shortage in trucking. And then Bureau well, of Labor Statistics, yes. I believe it is. And then ATA uh, had to rebut that. And Atri had all of their stats coming out. And everybody was like, oh, my God, we're so short. And my column was saying, no, I don't think there really is because the basics of supply and demand is when there's a shortage, people have to go without and the prices go up and stuff is still getting to market. Shelves are full. Prices are not going up. There's no shortage. And so that was my argument at the time. And some people thought I was a little nuts for it, but now this is what a labor shortage looks like. Yes. Empty shelves, prices going up, people having to go without. Yeah. That's what a shortage really looks like. And it's not just a driver shortage. It is a across the board shortage. I I think that, and I, I said this before I was on the Mark Willis uh, news, news uh, show on Sirius XM. And I was saying, I, you know, it's not just drivers, it's dock workers, it's crane operators. It's, it's, you know, people who are staffing grocery stores, staffing restaurants, like, Everywhere we see labor mm-hmm. shortages and it's like the entire system kind of had we, you know, we did this shutdown. We went into this little emergency panic. We kind of did that whole shutdown thing for a while. And and like you've said before, the government's kind of used money, like gave everybody money to artificially keep the life support going. Mm-hmm. And that is ending yeah. And the fatigue of trying to keep it up for so long and trying to keep it as many people alive as possible and trying to figure out how to balance the economy is just now it's crashing. Like now we're seeing it's kind of like the dot com crash. 
you can only artificially keep it going for so long before things start to really just like and all of the workers in overseas who got sick. And so the factories had to shut down and all of the, th- you know, we're, we're not even looking at the places where all of this stuff is coming from and their labor shortages. Well, I think not so much of the dot-com crash, but it reminds me a lot of the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. And I do remember like the sort of winter of 2009 and all of this stuff was happening and the, you know, the government had several things to do. And number one is keep the economy from collapsing completely. And as part of it, they had to artificially inflate a bunch of things. So they had to artificially inflate a bunch of car companies, basically. And then after the main wave of that crash had subsided, then they could do an orderly processing of these car companies uh, crapping out. So that's why you have them you know, waiting a year before they put GM through a bankruptcy and Chrysler and all this other stuff. And it's the same kind of thing now. It's like the health, number one is the, the healthcare thing. So let's just keep that going. We'll artificially inflate things and keep everybody going. But eventually, once the healthcare part of it starts to get under control, now the economic part has to be dealt with. And there's a reckoning there. And in 2009, 2010, it was bankruptcies and all kinds of bond collapses internationally and things like that. So now it is supply chain issues and backlogs and all of this other stuff. And the thing that I find interesting about it, everybody's talking about like the, the issue right now and what are we going to do now? And hopefully when these government supports end, people will go back to work and stuff. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but they're all talking about it like it's sort of a short-term thing. Or that's a one-off thing. Yeah. But what I think is something that to be aware of is I think it will get worse before it gets better. Certainly, or I think it'll get worse in different ways that people aren't necessarily thinking about. And another, Unintended consequences? Well, the other analogy that I guess is dot-com crash related is that this reminds me a lot of what happened with Nortel in 2000, 2001, 2000, I guess it was. So Nortel, for anybody who doesn't know. They were the biggest Northern Telecom. No, they had had switched to Nortel, uh, formerly by that name. They were the biggest supplier of internet kind of backbone equipment, networking equipment, just at the time, you know, when everything was happening. So when the dot-com explosion was happening, Nortel was huge because everybody was putting internet uh, everywhere. All of the telecoms, the cable companies were fighting over each other. Nortel was just going gangbusters. And it got to the point where they had like a massive backlog of orders because people are placing all these orders and they can't keep up with it delivering it. So there's like this huge backlog and a supply shortage. And then what happened was, oh, Nortel's stock and their valuation, and they were so hugely valued that they were like a huge part of the Toronto stock. They were in everybody's RSP, everyone's 401k. Everybody's everybody's retirement, but also like three or four different stock markets were very heavy on on Nortel. And uh, so, and very heavily valued based on like this huge book of orders that they had. And then Nortel was like, crap, we got to start delivering this. So they start cranking up their production to clear their backlog and discovered that actually a lot of their customers placed those orders assuming it was going to be that long time frame, and they didn't really want the stuff right now. So if you're delivering it now, we're actually canceling that order. And so they faced a flood of order cancellations, and 
it just collapsed them and they died. And it was one of the things that was a major sort of crash, a major element of the dot-com crash was Nortel's stock devaluating, devaluing because all of a sudden people realize they're not going to be able to deliver all of this stuff. All their uh, customers are canceling. And it because everybody had made these assumptions about the timelines and didn't want to change those, uh, it became a huge problem for Nortel. And eventually Nortel got sold off for scraps. And I see similarities here as well, because all of these people are talking about, oh, there's supply chain shortages. The shelves are empty because of all of these container ships that are waiting off the coast. Well, the people that bought that stuff or that were looking for that originally, they're not going to wait three months to get it. They're going to make some other arrangement Mm -hmm. now. They're going to solve that problem. And it may not be their ideal solution, but they'll do something. If you need a PC and the ideal one is coming from China, well, you're just going to go and pick one that's here now. And same thing with furniture and a lot of other things. And definitely for food. I don't know what's happening with food, but you can't keep it sitting on a container forever. Yeah, exactly. So, And what is, well, I don't know, you know, what the spoilage is with regards to that. But a lot of those things are going to get delivered and then discover that there really isn't the demand for them after all. Oh, man, that's going to be bad. Yeah, I think there's going to be uh, a very different kind of economic crunch in the spring. You know, January, February, I think... uh, People are going to realize that Christmas wasn't great and now we've got excess supply and this inflation. Well, we'll see what happens with that, how long that lasts. Yeah. So the pendulum could swing the other direction. I think, and people are taking advantage of, of what's happening right now. So anybody who is part of the supply chain is gets, a, you know, their, their day in the sun, which is, I think, also artificially creating anxiety. Uh, um, the, there's a lot of anxiety about, oh, we'll never, we'll never have enough truck drivers or we won't be able to buy things for Christmas. And so there's this, there's this kind of magnified sense of anxiety that I think is overblown. Like if you can't get the, whatever today's equivalent of the cabbage patch doll is <laughs> right now, is that going to, is that really your biggest issue? Is that well, the worst thing that's, an that's going to happen? Analogy because that has traditionally been the thing that when Christmas comes and there's that hot toy, people will fight each other to get it for their kid. And now we go through a Christmas where nobody gets the hot toy. And a lot of people have had a couple of Christmases where, well, at least one Christmas where they really shouldn't be associating and they've got a lot of death and sickness throughout the economy and throughout society. I wonder what it's going to do to that demand, you know, that willingness to fight over a toy. Is anybody going to care that much? Yeah, I I don't really know. I don't want to. It sounds like I'm sort of passing judgment on the entire society, which I kind of am, um, because we do tend to all freak out about things at the same time, you know, like everybody who needed toilet paper and there was no toilet paper. And now, oh my God, Christmas is going to be canceled. And, oh, this is going to be canceled. This is going to be canceled. And, and the people who are trying to find solutions in amongst all of this are the people who I kind of look to, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to see, and I like your, um, how you look at this supply chain thing is it's not a truck driver crisis. It's not a crane operator crisis. It's a societal crisis. And if we aren't trying to help each other get through it and trying to be patient with each other, 
and be patient with the government too. Like these are just a bunch of people trying to figure out how to do things on a massive scale. And there's a lot of judgment. Yeah, that's a good point as well. That government people making these decisions are still the same people that we are. Yeah, like we're not. There's people who are also afraid of COVID, also frustrated by the shutdowns, also have their own problems, and they're trying to figure out what the best way possible. And they also can't say everything that they're doing, which we mm-hmm. often talk about, is what what messages are being sent and why they're being sent at this certain time. So we were talking about the Canadian vaccine passport and, you know, why the Ontario government was uh, talking a lot about how they wanted the Canadian government to do it. And, and they dragging their feet on doing their own. Yeah. And you were, you were actually right because it was, there was a, there was a concerted effort that no one seemed to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And then it just happened. Yeah. And I said, oh, they're negotiating with the feds on something. Yeah. And it turns out that, yeah, they finally announced this after weeks of saying, no, we're not sure we want to do one. We don't really want to do one of these things. And then they turn around and do it. And then just this week, the feds announce one and say, well, actually the Ontario one is already that. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously it was in the works before. So I think that people are just trying to, or the government is trying to, trying to control the story so that people aren't freaking out on both sides or whatever sides they happen to land on and that they can just get it done, that they can just manage. Well, and as we've seen, there's a lot of times where it's in the works, but they can't say anything because it might not actually happen. Until it's actually guaranteed, until it's finalized, you don't want to say something because then people are going to be expecting it or freaking out when you don't do it or whatever. And you also made it get like, I'm, I'm referring to conversations that Mark and I have had like over the last week. Yeah. <laughs> you also pointed out that we have to make decisions that we don't tell anybody about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? we've seen that internally. Yeah, well. it's like, oh, you can't, can't say really that. Share. Yeah, we can't talk about that. Yeah, and sometimes it's privacy things. Sometimes it's a case of not wanting people to get half the story and draw the wrong conclusion from it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's uh, not wanting to say much in case it doesn't happen and distract people or get their hopes up or whatever. So One of it happens everywhere. The thing that uh, I think this started, I don't know, years and years ago when we were watching the West Wing and in the West Wing, which it was a great show at the time, uh, there are always reasons for what they say. And sometimes they say things they absolutely don't believe because for a longer term purpose. Yeah. And ever since then, we always talk about that. What is the longer term purpose for what people are saying? Why are they saying this now? Why are these announcements being made now? And when you start thinking about things strategically and thinking about why people say stuff, why do they go on TV and do this particular plug, like for politics or, oh, definitely, uh, you know, election things, or even just companies announcing things or mm-hmm. responding to things? You start thinking, okay, these people are thinking three steps ahead. So what is coming down the pipe? Yeah. What are they, what's happening that is prompting them to say this today instead of yesterday or last week or next week? And some of these things they could do at any time. Mm-hmm. You know, but some, they choose a time. So why are they choosing this time? Yeah. And Mark and I have these conversations I don't know, it feels almost daily we're trying to figure out what other people's motives are. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. They're like, we hear something on the news and pause it and go, why do you think they did that? Mm-hmm. And that's, the, you know, we don't have the response of, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Or, oh, thank God, they finally did this. It's, why do you think they said that now? Well, that's sort of the, I guess that's the response that sort of prompted by by the media, a lot of the media, and I always wonder this about media people. I have, have to ask our journalist friends, is like, why do you guys do this? You're like falling into the narrative rather mm. than just asking them, why are they making this announcement now? Or you know, like looking into the why of the story. They just get suckered into reporting on it with no other sort of investigation, with no other evaluation Context. or consideration. Yeah, it's just, okay, this is what you're doing and I'm going to report on it. So they end up just being seen as a mouthpiece of the government or the organization or business, industry association, whatever. They're actually the, I think that because the media has been so um, whittled down to the very, like there's just, there's no money in paper doing any paper media and it's all free online. And so you're trying very hard to get these paywalls and how do we make money? And they're basically just making it so that a staff of five becomes a staff of one part-time person. So that person now has to sift through, not only sift through all of the stories that are already out there just to make sure that they're on top of it. They also have to do their own stories, their own original content and they have to do whatever research they possibly can, and they don't have any time to do that. So that's what they end up doing. They're the mouthpiece of whoever they're talking to. Yeah. And that's, and it's not just government. It's whoever they're talking to. Because I've read stories where I'm like, I know what's going on, and that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. And I know that the person they talk to has a different opinion that like, I know where the story is actually coming from is coming from the person they're talking to. And it's really made it so that everything is opinion. Well, and I've actually seen that as well for stories that we're interviewed in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do an interview with somebody and then I'll see it, how it ends up in the final story. And I'll I'll almost invariably be cringing. I'll be like, that's not what we said. <laughs> well, it might be word for word what I said, but it's not really, it's not without the context of the rest of the conversation, mm-hmm. kind of, it's not really what I meant. And I'm getting better at giving them a distinct soundbite and that's it. But the problem is a lot of these people, I kind of know them and have a casual conversation about things. And then they just write it out verbatim when they really, they should be paraphrasing and just attributing it to me, but but I'm not just talking about the industry media. I'm talking about all the, like well, I, you know, you see, I see that, that in the local media. Yeah, and the, now I know. Now that I've been on both sides of that, it's like okay, I can point it out in other stories as well. It's like, and when a story comes out, and again, not just industry media, but all media, and they interview somebody, and that interview gives you an opinion of this person. Then I start wondering, well, okay, but what else did that person say that you didn't put in the, your interview? Yeah. They probably did, like, outside sort of mainstream news, they typically will do, they might do a 20-minute interview, a half-an-hour interview, and it turns into three lines of quotes. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the other stuff that you didn't include? You know, maybe that person doesn't look as much like an idiot or and, doesn't look so terrible. And people actually and I'm doing this as well, is that you almost are trained to talk in sound bites. So you're trying to you're trying to filter your message right down to, okay, what do I 
if I only have two sentences for everybody to, you know, this is the only two sentences I have that are going to be in the piece, it be it video or written or whatever, what is the, what is the thing that I most want them to get, the most want people to hear? And so your what you say becomes less of an actual interview and more of a talking points. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the news a lot and start questioning what they're doing, you start to see all the talking points and you start to realize, like when I was watching the election coverage, it was just talking points that they didn't even know what was going to stick. Like they were just throwing stuff out there. And then the journalists are all reporting on it. And all they went back to was this election shouldn't have been called during well, COVID. That was and it was just example. like, oh, a really good example of us saying, well, why are they choosing to highlight that? Because you have these reporters that are embedded with each election, with each mm-hmm. campaign, and they follow the person all day, listen to this person, probably do their stump speech or whatever they're doing, you know, three times, four times a day, and then answer questions and things. And it gets boiled down to like a 15 second highlight. And so I'm thinking, why did you pick that highlight versus something else? And you have all of this footage. Why did you pick that particular clip to show? And I know, unfortunately, that a lot of times the answer is, well, I had to get it done fast. And this was the most recent one, or this was the quickest one that that fit the bill, and that's it. So So we pay the price for having 24-hour coverage of everything. Yeah. By the price is that we don't get great information. Before, you know, back in the, the Walter Cronkite era, you know, you had to wait for the news, but there was a more thorough job done mm-hmm. on it. And I certainly, I hope this doesn't come across as bashing the media. I certainly don't want to do that. I know it is hard, 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 hard to create content. I'm creating content too. Like, and I'm creating content for the media as well. Mm-hmm. And I find it challenging to even come up with it. I don't know what it must be like to have to parse through all of the different places that you get in, get information, try and find the truest version or the most accurate version of that, and then try and write it intelligently and put it out into, you know, into the, into, into a product that people will then consume and judge you for mercilessly. (laughs) And while you're doing that, you also need to get out five tweets today. Oh, and, and the, then yeah, start it exactly. all the way over again tomorrow. Yeah, it's definitely a tough job. Like, and you're I, paid. You're paid, not great. Yeah, and you're paid uh, about a half of what a junior software developer makes. So who isn't? Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, but that's another. That's a whole. That's other, a whole other rant. Whole other ball game. But yes, I have a, a lot of respect. I understand. The more I learn about them, the more I understand why it happens the way it does. But I do find that sort of an interesting game, an unendingly fun game to sort of speculate as to what was it that led them to do this at this particular Mm -hmm. time. And just to be fair, we do that with everything. (laughs) We do not. So when we're watching a scripted drama on TV, we'll press pause button and go, why did they do that? Yeah. Why Why did the writers, why did the writers make that decision to put that character there with you know, that, that, outfit. Yeah, yeah. that outfit, that yep. outfit, why would they be doing that? Why would they have, why would they have even, you know, why did they film it in Toronto? Why are they trying to, you know? So I'm starting to have a sense of why we might not have any friends. 
<laughs> Maybe we're not the nicest people to have dinner with or watch a show with. <laughs> we don't pause it for anybody else. But even cartoons, like we're watching that animated Star Trek thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> pause it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's oh, more about we can figure out where... Because they the always Easter have these, yeah, they have tons of references. So we're always trying to figure out the references. Also, referential. We are terribly referential. Like if we can recognize things from other things and we're like, oh my God, that's from this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, it's very, we're very boring. Well, that actually works as a very nice transition Segway. into the next thing that I wanted to talk about was the webinar that you did last week on research, mm-hmm. which is all about looking things up, analyzing it, deciding how to use it, what to use. Really what you're doing in your research is the same thing that we're just talking about, just thinking, why is this here in this particular way? And is it in the right place? It's very interesting because when we were talking about that webinar, we weren't actually thinking about that. We were thinking about, you know, I think the closest we got to that was rabbit holes. We're Mm -hmm. going down research. We're, We're basically researching kind of, things that are adjacent to the topic, mm-hmm. like right next to the topic. kind of. Like- and just as a bit of clarification, this was our monthly webinar. And the subject this year was essentially how to do research effectively to learn about all of the regulations and to be comfortable with them, to understand that you've got a full grasp of what's required in a safety and compliance context, right? Yes. So. And we were, uh, so we were, we were talking about rabbit holes, which is, I, I think, um, it, it actually really helps you. Like if you spend a lot of time and you think you've wasted it, mm-hmm. you think you've, Oh, I, I did all this, you know, I read all these articles on something that wasn't really related. And like, for example, if you, you know, you're researching hours of service changes and you end up down a rabbit hole about truck parking, mm-hmm. which doesn't really tell you much about hours of service but it tells you about the driver experience yeah the real world implication of them and that's why that's why when you're doing research to get a better picture of things like a holistic picture you do want to go down those rabbit holes like where does your you know what question is in the back of your head based on all of the things that you've read or listened to so follow that question and, mm-hmm. and then go find another question to follow. And then, and that's your rabbit hole, which everybody apologizes to me for. And I've always said, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, we've got a new hire in marketing that started this week and I, I'm, I'm going to encourage him to explore the rabbit holes. There's tons of them in trucking. I, you can, if you actually start reading things and then looking things up based on, so you read an industry story in truck news or something like that. So say it's about truck parking and then you watch a video on how to park a truck and you start watching this video and it starts talking to you about how backing is so difficult and here are the ways to do it. And then you start realizing that backing is this big issue. And then you can start seeing that, you know, not, there's a whole bunch of drivers who don't think that they were adequately adequately prepared. And then you can get on to uh, being trained, entry-level training. And then so you may not... You end up back in hours of service. You Yeah, but you end up getting a much bigger picture of the entirety of the issue rather than these are the regulations that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. And when we started, I was just thinking about regulations. I wasn't thinking about everything else. 
I was thinking, okay, here are the rules. They're kind of weird and I kind of don't understand them, but I'm going to figure them out so that I can do a course about them. I didn't really comprehend that lots of people don't understand these rules and there's a lot of them to remember and there's a lot of exceptions and a lot of weirdness. And so all of the, we have a, a whole group of risk and safety officials, or not officials, but um, pro- uh, professionals who are experts in it and can spot it. And which is kind of sad for a rule. Like if, if there's, we don't have to have a risk, a risk, um, person in our household so that we drive care, like so that we can drive. Mm. But trucking companies do have to have these this staff of risk people, safety and risk people. So why is it so complicated? And I mean, I understand it is complicated because you have a much bigger truck and you have a much bigger vehicle. A lot of weight is a lot more dangerous. But at the same time, why are these rules so crazy mm-hmm. that you need a you know two hour course just to figure them out? Mm-hmm. And but when I started, I that's what I was doing. I was just trying to figure it out. And as as I've learned more about the industry, I've started thinking. And Best Fleets has mm-hmm. definitely really helped with that. As I now I'm starting to look at how it affects the people who are driving, how it affects the people who are dispatching, how it affects their the safety managers, how it affects the owners of the company, all of these rules have an effect, like have this, you know, this effect, this ripple effect that goes way further than just your problems with hours of service. Hmm. And that's what, and that's what I think. (laughs) Well, what I liked about the approach, what I thought was very interesting is you used an approach that I use for writing. You talked about it in uh, the context of yes. the madman, architect, carpenter, and judge. And so in a writing context, I've known that. I've used that for years. I got that. Uh, I think I did a first-year English course, and we had to write, of course, a million essays. And that was the guidance on how to do it. And it actually came from a TA in the that English course, and it stuck with me, and I've used it ever since then. And it really is a nice model for writing and So very quickly, the madman is the beginning where you just sort of write everything you can think of. That's your brain dump. And you don't worry about the order. You don't worry about connecting it. Just get all of your ideas out there and get everything you can think of dumped down onto the page. And then the architect goes through and takes all of those pieces and arranges them in the right way and says, what should be at the beginning? What should be at the end? All of that puts that uh, puts the layout together. The carpenter is doing all of the cleanup. So connecting the sentences properly, making sure the ideas flow, fixing the grammar and all of that. And then the judge is when you evaluate it and then go back and correct it some more and things like that. But it's been a model that has really worked well for me in writing. And that's mostly how I write now is just start with a brain dump and then organize it later. But you applied that to research. So I find that very interesting. How did you make the research sort of fit that model? Or how did you use that model to d- talk about doing research? I don't think it's really that far off, hmm. to tell you the truth. And and that's why we were talking about what to do for the webinar. And I and it just kind of was like, oh, wait a minute. Why don't we do that? I think someone said something. Someone made a comment that made me think of Mad Men mm. in, the re- in that whole for the first go at the research, the first stab. 
Okay. So you're just going everywhere. Like right. you're just trying to, and, and really what you're talking about in the writing process is, is um, finessing. And it's a really good four-step finessing process. And it's the same thing with research because you have to finesse your research. You have to figure out what it is you're going to say. Like, so, okay, you do all this research. What is it for? What are you going, what's your end product going to be? So when you do research and you just start by looking everywhere. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because you sometimes don't know what your end product is going to be. You yeah. don't know where you're going. And, and on the research side, much like writing, people fall into a trap of thinking they have to have that vision of the f- finished state before they get started. They have to think they ha- of what they're going to research. They have to know what they're trying to mm-hmm. get before getting into it. And the point of the research is that it's completely wide open space and you don't know where you're going to go. You know, That's, there's something on the, on the subject. So you start going there and don't think that the first place you go is going to be right. Be ready to go back to the drawing board and start with a completely different search or completely different terms and things. It's almost like when you, when you are a subject matter expert or a SME, you almost are at a disadvantage because you know too much. You know, you know your topic. So I'm going to write X, Y, and Z about this topic. I am, you know, I know it. I know all the rules. I know all the regulations. I'm going to put it in a really great order and I'm going to present it. And if you do no other research, if you don't keep up, then you can miss stuff. I I remember doing, um, I was talking to uh, someone about learning styles and I did a little bit of research and, uh, you know, learning styles, this is something that I've been aware of and I've been able to describe, I've been able to like, not diagnose, but I can see what people's learning styles are because of how they how they interact with me during a learning opportunity. And I thought, you know, there's like three learning styles. And then, <laughs> and then I, I, I kind of looked it up and apparently learning styles are not a thing. Really? Apparently they're not. New research is, is kind of showing that people have multiple, people use multiple learning styles when they approach a topic. And it's really more about what, how you have to interact with the content. So if it's something where you need to do something with your hands, it's better to do a practical activity, no matter whether you're a visual or a... Sure. So, but it's multiple things, right? right? And that's something that I've always kind of understood, but I think people look at learning styles much more black and white and they go, no, visual, you can only yeah. watch yeah. a video. You must always watch. No yeah, right. and that's the only way you can learn. Whereas I'm not, because I'm a weird learner, like I'm, I'm a kinesthetic. So it's like, I need to do everything. But I think there are learning styles that people are more comfortable with that are their preferred methods. Oh yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, they gravitate into places where that learning style is most appropriate. So the people that are kinesthetic learners gravitate into disciplines where that is valuable. You don't see a lot of, or I would imagine you don't see a lot of kinesthetic learners that are lawyers because that's all about reading and it's or about memorizing text. they have a lot of things they do to yeah, make up for it. it. Yeah. You have to, like if you're a kinesthetic learner and you have to do a lot of reading, there, then you are doing a lot of things to compensate for mm-hmm. that. You're taking a lot of breaks. You're... Um, 
you're using your hands or something or you're flipping pages or going back to things there. Anyway, we're off the topic, but um, the research going back to research, that whole if you think if you are a subject matter expert, it is difficult to realize that, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should check and see if there's anything, you know, does anybody have new opinions or hey, I have to stop for a second there because I'm going to mark this moment. because We're like 36 minutes into a podcast, episode 66 of our podcast. And Jane has acknowledged she's off topic and gone back to the original topic. It only <laughs> took 66 episodes, <laughs> but you actually have never heard that before. I mean, you're off topic. We've off topic. Yeah, of course we are. <laughs> That's why I don't have a, a very formalized agenda for these things and don't have a start and end point. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint anyone who just wants to hear, you know, all of my. Well, now I've taken us back off topic. So, back to the topic, Mister Intro. What is it? Learning the kids styles? say interrupting cow. Yeah. Um, no, it's not learning styles. <laughs> no, it's, I'm just throwing it oh, right okay. to you. Um. So, subject matter experts. Yes, the idea is, is that you should do research, even if you are. Yeah. And, and I think that's partly why we've had really good success with content people that don't come from the industry because they have to learn it fresh. And they often, you know, people who are doing the writing often will do a lot of research and then write something and I'll be like, no, I can't say that. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible because, it's the, and I hate doing it because I know that there's a lot of work going on and there's a lot of research involved, but it's like that whole, you can't say that in trucking or you don't say that. The don't, like, it's like, mm. this is not how it's referred to. Yeah. We have to call it this. Yeah. And people won't understand it if you use that word. And that's why having trucking specific courses on HR practices and, and like safety, but everything is really good because there are, there's a whole vocabulary that's used in trucking that you don't get outside but so the whittling down and whittling down is is like the writing process, because once you got the madman stage where you get everything you possibly can, including I always say, go and look at driver boards, because that oh, will yeah. tell you yeah. sentiment that will tell you how what they think of. And real Whatever. world examples of, yeah. of the sort of edge cases that they have to deal with on a regular basis and what they're telling each other to help mm. each other which is often not correct but the misinformation that's getting spread around actually there's a lot of apps i don't have a lot of you had that with bridge formula i know i didn't i actually i yeah bridge formula i thought it was very interesting i saw on a driver board when we were i was doing the weights and dimensions course that bridge formula people thought it referred to People thought it referred to the bridge of a truck, like the actual, the, the, where the fifth wheel is. Yeah. And it actually was a real bridge, but it's not like people were saying that they, they had just in the driver conversation that I saw, somebody said that it, that's what they thought it was. And they were corrected like four times. Mm. So it's not like they're spreading misinformation. It's just that they have an incorrect 
idea of what something is and then someone mm. else will eventually so it's a them. wisdom of crowds thing where they they yeah. end up in the right place yeah but the the thing is is that unless you know how to explain complex things you tend to explain it badly yeah and so you get every so often you get someone who's just a gem who can just explain like that i love these guys who who just say no this is how it works step one this step two this step three and i'm like ah oh, exactly that's what i wanted this is Absolutely, the answer. Me? That is not you at all. <laughs> no, I am the. But I see them. Like, people have videos. I mean, I saw. Uh, I was. I was kind of researching parking backing methods, and there was. Um, I think it was ninety degree, uh, alley docks, and and I was like so confused. And I found this video. It was, and it was the guy. The guy in the video was actually using a toy truck, mm-hmm. but it was it was wonderful because I couldn't figure out. I was reading these words that said, you know, line your shoulder up with the with the next trailer. And I'm thinking shoulder of the truck. Mm. Like and I was what's the shoulder of the truck? And I and I did like I searched high and low. Like I googled I just googled everything. It was what is the shoulder of the truck? I'm like is it is it maybe like where the mirrors are? Is it the door? Is it, you know, is it the fifth wheel? Like where is the shoulder of the truck? And so when I saw this video and the guy had the um, the actual toy truck and he said, you know, go up to where your shoulder is. And I was like, oh, my God, it's your shoulder. Well, you're so used to <laughs> colloquialisms. I know. I'm so- slang expressions that you just assumed it meant something else. I didn't realize it was an actual human shoulder. So I felt quite silly because I think I'd wasted two to three hours trying to figure out what the shoulder of the truck well, was. You know what the shoulder of the truck is. <laughs> the shoulder of the person driving the truck. This happened like last week. <laughs> so this isn't a newbie error that I made. This, this is, is why things don't go out the door. <laughs> this is why there's a backlog of things waiting for Jane to review. So content team, this is what she's doing when she's not I getting told, back to you. I told a couple of people about my shoulder of the truck uh, thing. Oh, my God. But the Duh. research is valuable. <laughs> and you know what? Research in, in that case, the misunderstanding is very useful because the misunderstanding of what the bridge refers to, the misunderstanding of what a shoulder refers to, people misunderstand and don't get the correction. Mm-hmm. So they, they make stuff up. <laughs> to fill in the yeah. blanks in their head. And when you don't get someone who can explain really well, and a lot of people can't. So drivers can't explain, safety managers can't explain, yep. you can't explain, Lord knows you can't answer a question directly. So, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm the fabulous. number of times I ask you a question that's basically a yes or no and you start explaining something else that drives me Well, I me have to the give wall. the context for the yes or the no. And the context requires a bit of patience. Moving on. (laughs) I do not agree. (laughs) I do not think that's valid. But it can be. So when you find... See how I am silenced here? (laughs) So when you find someone who can explain well and clearly, that is a very valuable person. Yes. It is a very valuable person. And sometimes you have to draw a picture. So if I had called someone up and said, what's the shoulder of the truck? And, and they'd be like, what's what? And maybe they would have drawn a picture of maybe. somebody's actual shoulder. And I'd be like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't call anybody. Yeah. 
That would have been bad. <laughs> but after that, then you whittle things down in the research process to what it is that you want to say. So maybe you have found things that give context and you can sort of make the picture brighter and uh, then or find information that you think should be included, which is generally not included. And then you basically have to keep on with the research process because for our courses, we are constantly changing them and updating them and refreshing them. And that requires new research. Mm -hmm. So that judge part is an ongoing process, which I didn't think so, but Tiffany made a really good case for it. And she was on the webinar and, and she sort of described her her um, carpenter judge process once she's got information what she does with it and how she you know keeps on keeps on top of what is in a course and how it might change and that kind of thing and also how we manage the courses on an ongoing basis it's kind of it can be a difficult process because you know, things change slightly or someone kind of tells us that we've got it wrong a little bit, like technically not really correct, but mm-hmm. the gist of it is okay. So it's an ongoing process and it's very close to writing. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. See, that's what you should always say. To keep you me just happy. have a sound just, clip yeah. and just play that all the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Jane. I didn't, uh, I didn't attribute it directly to you. Oh. <laughs> that makes sense, Tiffany. Good work. Yeah, there's your sound clip. So, uh, we can move on, and I think we can spend a couple of minutes just talking about the fact that we are coming into the last week of nominations for the Best Fleets program. Oh, yeah. Yes, the 14th edition of the Best Fleets program is coming to the end of nominations and holy crap, we have a lot of them. Yes. We, it's a 178? We 176 or somewhere. I don't know. By the time this comes out, I'm sure it'll be past that. So we've got a pool going internally. And can you believe that this is the first time? Yeah. That's one of those things that doesn't occur to you until someone says it. And then it's like, why didn't we always do this? But yeah, we have a pool internally to see where we end up on nominations. And I'm still in the running. Jane is out. Oh, I'm out. Because I think mine was 160... 163, 162 or something like that. Yeah, you were somewhere in there. I think it was 163. Yeah. yeah. No, Joan was 163. Yeah. So, I was I was trying to find the... Um, I was just looking up what the things are now. Yeah. So by the time this comes out, uh, we'll, we'll be p- certainly past that. And you never know, we could be approaching 200, which is nuts. Last year, we were floored to set a new record with 150. And here we are potentially a third past that. So, oy, this would be the time where I would normally stress about having to do all those interviews. But there's like five people doing interviews this year. So it's not going to be all that terrible. We think it will (laughs) not be all that terrible. Maybe, well, it still could be 30 interviews apiece. So... That may still be terrible. Okay, now I'm starting to get nervous about it. But Oh, stop it. Oh, it's, it's 177, fine. Chris says. Yeah, okay. Don't get, we have five, at least five people who are doing it, so. Yeah, but. And not everybody who's nominated goes through. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Like, usually there's a good <laughs> We only good need, chunk. we only need like 23. 
<laughs> yeah. There Maybe a hundred of those people won't bother participating. Yeah. Because they'll be so busy trying to find drivers or something. Well, that's what always happens. You can always tell the general stress of the industry about recruiting drivers by the number of uh, nominees that we have. When we have a year where everybody is scrambling to find drivers, we always have higher nominations. And when there's a lack of freight and there's a surplus of drivers, people don't participate. The nominations go down. So we can always have a good sense of the economy by the number of nominations we get. So it is actually interesting about how that works. Yeah. I think that's uh yeah, we'll see. But it seems yeah. like that, that part of the economy is doing very well. Certainly the hiring of drivers, which, you know, big news, you know, people are scr- struggling to hire drivers. Also big news. The sky is blue. <laughs> about you know equally groundbreaking so that should be very exciting for us mm-hmm. uh, next week as we wrap up the nominations and start doing all the organizing and get ready to do the interviews and, and we have some well we did a webinar basically about how to answer the questions last week and um i think it's going to be interesting we have some follow-ups to covid uh, to see how how uh, things are going. We are, we started looking, um, this, this came up this morning, actually. Uh, it was a, it was a story and I can't remember where the article came from about people, not people having to wait outside a oh, shipping yard. Oh, I found yard. it on LinkedIn. Yeah. The lineup to get into the ports. Yeah. Like the lineup to get into the lineup that, that yeah. we were talking about with customs, like this whole thing with the ports, like it's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, and whether or not drivers get paid for that. So if you're waiting in a several mile long lineup to get into the port or into the place, in this particular case, it was a port. But yeah, if you're waiting to get in, does that waiting time count? Are you getting paid for that? Or does the waiting time clock only start once you're actually inside the fence? So we'll be very interesting and we'll have updates. I guess the next uh, episode of this podcast, we will be just getting rolling with the interview. So we'll Mm -hmm. have some further thoughts on that. And I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Sounds like a plan. All right. And we didn't squabble too much. A little bit. We still have time. Oh, (laughs) have a good day, everybody. Thank you. 